Welcome to today's episode of Money Self Made. I am so excited about this guest. She is so entertaining and so successful. She started her career on Oprah. She knows Oprah. And then, if that weren't enough, she went and built a business from scratch into multi million dollars of sales. And she tells us how she did it. This is a two parter because we couldn't stop talking. So, the first part is going to be how she got her career going in entertainment, what it's like to work with Oprah, what she learned from Oprah. She also opens up about her own mental health growth and her own diagnosis with ADD, bipolar, and Asperger's, which is fascinating. And then we dive into how she was able to raise over a million dollars in funding for her business, which is extremely rare. Only 2% of VC money goes to female founders annually. And she talks about everything from customer service to hiring and all of the problems of scale that you face as a founder. So no matter what you're into, you're going to get something great out of this two-part series. Before we get started, make sure you smash that like button. If you're watching on video, click that like button. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to click subscribe. Please enjoy. And I'm so excited to welcome Danielle to the show, founder of Outlaw Soaps. Uh, But before you started Outlaw Soaps, you had a whole fascinating, interesting career, which I could relate to because I also worked um, in entertainment at Disney and and that kind of thing. So I'd love to like start by going way back in time, maybe to like when you were a kid and how you envisioned your future adult self (laughs) as your career. (laughs) So like, what were your dreams, hopes, fears, aspirations, like from day one of Danielle's life? (laughs) Yeah. So the first job I remember ever wanting, um, uh, I decided I wanted to be an insurance company president. Um, I know I love not that. very glamorous in, in, in adult understanding of what insurance company presidents do. I think that wouldn't be my dream career today, but in terms of my then understanding of like what a six-year-old understands when, uh, when her mom explains in, life insurance is basically betting on people not to die. And that seemed like a solid bet. So, um, so that was my goal at like six years old, the first job I ever wanted. I didn't want to be a ballerina. I didn't want to be a, you know, firefighter or an astronaut or astronaut, firefighter, ballerina, ballerina, or a veterinarian. I wanted to be an insurance company president. And so, yeah, so that that's not necessarily, you know, um, but that was really how I, I think I started my career, uh, like, not being very imaginative. <laughs> and then the next thing I really wanted, uh, when I found out what um, ad agency executives did, um, that sounded fun. And this was, of course, well before Mad Men. I had no idea about the glamorous life that ad agents execs had but uh but to me that seems really like a fun job working with so many creative people having my own office um one big point of interest for me as an eight-year-old or nine-year-old was being able to record my own outgoing message um on my phone so that I could make myself sound like funny things or I could you know, impersonate celebrities on my outgoing message. I don't, again, I don't know why that was such a big deal to me, but (laughs) to nine-year-old Danielle, that was the thing to be accomplished in life. And, and, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that my current outgoing message, I think it's just the default one. So (laughs) 
life doesn't always turn out how you expect it to be. Same here. That is so funny. I, no wonder we've got a lot in common. So my parents were in the insurance industry. So I watched my mom no, yes, really? making life insurance calls. That's like how I learned how to cold call indirectly. I would like cold call on my little phone. <laughs> and I totally went through the ad executive phase too, because in the nineties, that's like, was the movie job. Like Helen Hunt had it and what women want. And I just looked so cool. And my dreams were kind of dashed when I like pursued that career as an adult. But yeah, and you find out it's a giant meat grinder. I mean, very yes. much like the entertainment industry in yes. a way, although I was very blessed to be in companies that were less meat grindery than others, but, you know, as were you, but, uh, but certainly like both of those industries, you know, are, uh, can on some level have the potential to be soul sucking, horrible grinds, uh, that ruin your life and, uh, suck all of joy, um, out of every single moment. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Because I was the same way where you wanted that career and entertainment. It was fancy and glamorous. And then you get into it and you're like, what is this? This is how people live. What are we doing? So yeah, <laughs> but that's and it was exciting. I mean, it was exciting, but it was also like, you know, a lot of getting out of my car in the morning before the sun rose and like driving down into an empty parking garage and leaving from an empty parking garage, like just working longer hours than was sustainable. And, um, now, now of course I work like 27 hours a day. Um, but, uh, but at the time, you know, it was just not what I wanted. Completely. I mean, I will say in terms of a career though, really impressive. I mean, you worked with Oprah, you've met (laughs) Oprah. That's insane. Just talking to someone who's talked to Oprah is like, wow. (laughs) And then uh, like you did ABC, is that right? You were. Yeah. So I did, I was senior product manager for ABC and product um, community manager and editorial manager for ABC family before it was bought out by Fox. Um, And when it was owned by Disney. So that was a really um, nurturing environment uh, in particular ABC family was I had give I had worked for a entertainment startup in the Bay area prior to taking the job at ABC family. And I had decided no more digital product management. I would rather shovel part of my language um, in a horse stall than, uh, than work in project management or product management anymore at all. And so when this job opportunity, you know, presented itself at ABC family, I just like the hiring manager, Amy, who I will forever be grateful to, she actually had to kind of sell me on it because I was like, look, I don't want another job where I have to get yelled at by the boss for two hours in every meeting, you know? Uh, and, and she was like, this isn't like that at all. And she really saved my career. Um, so I will always be grateful to her mentorship and everything. And, you know, she helped me understand how to let other people's drama kind of roll off of me, which turned out to be a very, very valuable life skill you know, in the past 10 years. (laughs) I still need to learn that. So if you have any tips, but, um, and just repeat, it's them. It's not you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite moment and like a least favorite moment from your corporate career before we dive, dive into your exciting self-employment? Was there like a high, low light? 
Yeah, definitely. The highlight was a day I actually threw up. Um, And that doesn't sound like a real highlight, but I was so nervous because Oprah herself was taking a quiz that I had built. She was taking it on her iPad live on the air. And about 10 minutes before she went live on the air, the quiz started having some bizarre errors and crashing and crashing hard, like redirecting people to the homepage of Oprah. And, and I'm like watching this, her live talking to the author saying that she's about to, you know, that she's launching this five love languages quiz online. And it, I couldn't like, I, I could only replicate this error, you know, once every five times. So there was no solving it. And And I was like, I texted my boss and, you know, I said, you have to take Oprah's iPad away from her. Um, She cannot take this quiz live on air. And he's like, he texted back. He's like, you're crazy. I'm not taking Oprah's iPad. It was a good call. And, and she actually took the quiz and it managed to be one of those times when it didn't error out. And like, I... I was so worked up that I ran to the bathroom and threw up because I was so like, I thought it was going to be the end of my career. Like at that moment, I just thought, this is it. This is the end of my career. And then, um, and then after that, my other project that I had been spending weeks working on was going live, which was the Lance Armstrong live interview where he admitted to using performance enhancing drugs. And so the stakes could not be higher, right? She's taking this quiz directly on to Lance Armstrong, you know, this super high profile interview. And I had worked on the player and, you know, the online experience and was working with the show producers to get the live clips updated after the show so that we could make sure that, you know, that there was no delay after uh, the show, it wasn't like a 24 hour wait. It was like a two hour wait while they did the segments and everything like that. And so that, you know, you can imagine like two, those two projects going live on the same day, I was there super early. And I think I left at like two o'clock in the morning and the, like when I got in the car, I was so exhausted and I only lived like three miles away, but I had driven cause I knew that that was going to be just a shit day. And so I got in the car and I turned on the radio and it was the BBC talking about the Lance Armstrong interview. And I was like, they watched it on my player. (laughs) And I cannot tell you like that day, having that experience being on such a roller coaster of, you know, of anger, confusion, you know, of, frustration, panic, despair. I mean, I was on all every single spectrum of the emotional roller coaster on that particular day. And then to end on such a victorious note of like the BBC talking about the thing I worked on. And I was like, yes. And then I kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, and I just have to go back to work and do the same, like do you know, slideshows for sponsors day after day after this, there was no more like that moment of victory did not mean that my life had truly changed in any way. It was just like, and then you get back, you go back to work, you go back to looking at reports, you go back to doing sponsored slideshows and 
And then, and then nothing changes. And I think that was really the moment when I was like, I have to do something different with my life because <laughs> it was so exciting. And, uh, and then my low point, I was having a really hard time at ABC for a lot of reasons, but, uh, but I got in my car in the morning and I only, again, I lived close to work. I did not have far to drive, but I thought maybe I can get in a car accident on my way to work. (laughs) So if I go to the hospital, I don't have to go to work. And, and it was because I just had this really contentious relationship with my manager. He wanted me to write up and fire some employees who I did not feel needed to be disciplined. And I was kind of being um, like, forced to do these things that I consider unethical. And, and that was like the low point. I mean, you, I mean, now if there's an ethical dilemma, even if it's hard, even if it sucks, I can decide to do what I want to do. And if, you know, but if there's an ethical dilemma at a corporation, you get to do what they say you have to do, or you get to quit. And that is, that sucks. Um, So that was, you know, that was, that was really the low point was like thinking maybe it's better to be in the hospital than to be in this job. And then thankfully, I guess, uh, like two weeks later, I developed a medical condition called a hiatal hernia based on the stress that I was experiencing. And I stopped being able to eat or drink anything. And I ended up in the hospital anyway. So the body does take care of itself. (laughs) I'm just here reacting with all of like the emotions that you went through for this. And it's, uh, and you know, I mean, I learned so much working on, um, projects for ABC. You know, I worked on the finale for Lost, an experience I will never forget. The thing that I think from me and, you know, working with Oprah, the, she really is how she presents. Like that is, she is so truly and authentically herself um, in all of the circumstances. This is not fake stuff. She is a full, true human being. And that was very inspiring to me. I really love this sort of raw freedom outlaw West thing you've got going. How did that spark happen? Like, how did you go from this great corporate career, slash, <laughs> like miserable corporate career to this incredible e-commerce business? Yeah. Fashionable boots to cowboy boots. Um, <laughs> we used to go camping and shoot BB guns and like, you know, drink whiskey by the fire until dawn and you know, throw gasoline onto bonfires. And, you know, we had a very active and adventurous life extracurricularly. I can say that word. So we would, you know, I would go to work on Monday through Friday and I could never, I struggled very hugely with fitting into corporate everything. Um, because I learned this later, but um, because I have Asperger's syndrome or I'm on the autism spectrum, depending on how you want to categorize it. But, but, uh, but yeah, I was diagnosed with that and it suddenly made so much sense to me, but I just never was able to really fit in with the corporate culture because even when I wore what I thought I should wear, 
people thought I was being sarcastic or wearing a costume because I was so uncomfortable in the things I was wearing. And so, so we had kind of this dual life, you know, and I had like a completely separate Facebook profile and, um, I couldn't even remotely be myself, um, at work and the people did not know people could not they just could not know the real me. A lot of the guests on the show have said that America specifically versus other cultures is really strange in our weird duality of like, there's work you and there's home Mm -hmm. you. Uh, So yeah, I can relate completely. And you know what I think is really cool. Uh, You mentioned just kind of like you tested on the spectrum. And so, but you, it sounds like that's a superpower for you and you've been (laughs) able to like be yourself in this situation and also kick ass. Like, do you feel like that self-knowledge and, or just kind of like that personality trait has helped you, hindered you, or what, how has that sort of played into this journey? Yeah, it's been, so when I got, when I was diagnosed, um, I actually saw a psychiatrist, uh, because my then dog diva, who is in our logo, uh, she died. She was on the verge of dying. She was like, you know, phasing out. And, um, And, uh, and so I wanted to see a psychiatrist because I knew I had depression issues and I felt like uh, there was a high likelihood that I would just fall off. Um, and I did not want to kill myself. (laughs) I already tried it once when I was 19 and it, and I thankfully was not successful. And, uh, and so I knew I needed to get help before the, the edge came. Um, and so I started seeing a psychiatrist and he, was like, I had been diagnosed as bipolar and uh, not with ADD. And I had gone my whole life thinking that my moments of inspiration were actually delusional and that I should not listen to them. And right. And so I spent a lot of my life having these brilliant insights and then going, no, that's just me being manic. And so I think about like all that time wasted. And then also um, when he diagnosed me with ADD and he put me on medication for it, uh, I was like a different person. Like it was like a, a world had opened to me that was, I just suddenly felt like this is what normal people are doing. And how come everybody isn't a superhero? Like I could not believe the, you know, but I think, like Bruce Lee used to walk around with weighted clothes, right? So that every movement that he made had an incredible amount of resistance against it. And I think having ADD and having these um, extremely qualified flashes of insight meant that I grew up with that resistance. And so I think it helped me once I got diagnosed to really understand the value of being able to focus and the, and, and what an amazing thing that is. And then when he also diagnosed me, cause I explained, I could never really fit in and it was really hard and being diagnosed with Asperger's it all of a sudden, everything made sense. It was like, Oh, I'm not like delusional and people don't hate me because I'm horrible. I have a actual like communication disability that that I just get to be aware of. And that enabled me to be a lot more myself and a lot 
less like, I don't know. It just like, it was such a relief. I mean, I just like, it was just such a, I felt like I didn't have to fake it anymore. And so that was really a huge relief. And then also small things like having tags on clothes um, can turn me into not a fun person to be around. Me too. And me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I hate tags. Why do they exist? You'll love this then because I actually decided, okay, I'm going to have a custom outfit fit made for myself. And so I have a manufacturer in China. I ordered 50 of the identical dresses they have. They fit fine. They are washer and dryer safe. They don't have tags. And I just like wear exactly the same dress every single day. And I never worry about anything. And love that. Yeah. It was like such a relieving problem. I mean, like a relieving solution to such a persistent lifelong problem of like, "Eh, nothing fits. I hate everything. And, (laughs) and like, just being able to solve that, like look at it and go, I have a disability or an ability or a different ability that means that I cannot process having a label scratching me. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I'm relieved that someone else feels this way. I was cutting a tag out of my shirt the other day and just like, why do they do this? The shirt's now like ruined and has a hole in it. And like, it's so uncomfortable. It's bonkers. Um, Yeah. It's weird. Why? (laughs) I know. And it's like Mm -hmm. funny because I can tell the people who, uh, when they write me, like, so I sold some of the dresses to some of my friends and the ones who wrote me and said, by the way, I noticed you didn't put a tag in and I just wanted to say thanks. I'm like, you have autism <laughs> but, yeah. That's because awesome. it's like, it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you can make, however, like once you have an awareness of yourself in that way, you can craft the world around you. You know, the world is incredibly malleable and like, once you know the reality that you work best in, you can craft the reality around you to be like that. And that was actually um, an employee that I had a couple of years ago um, who actually left to, to go pursue her own, her own passions. Um, but she was the first person who ever said it to me. Like um, she said, I think whenever you have communication problems with the other employees, um, they don't understand that you already understand what they're saying before they get to the end of their five minute explanation and you've already made a decision. And so you're interrupting them to say, I got it. Here's what I think is not rude. It's helpful. And if they can accept that you get it, um, and if they say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I'm always receptive. Usually I just get stuff before people finish explaining it. And I want to be efficient, right? You know, like you just, okay, let's get it done. Um, totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So, so that's like, that has having her explain to me that it was up to, this is a strange way of, of, of coming to this, but like that it's up to other people since I'm the CEO Everybody else has to figure out how they can work around my communication style, not the other way around. And that's just like, oh, right, of course. And so then whenever anybody starts, I'm like, uh, here's a preface. I just need you to know this is my communication style. Um, I, I alternate widely between needing to know a full story and needing to know no story. And I will tell you. 
and it's not personal. And, you know, and that's like, you know, that's, it's, it's nice to be able to work with people and be uh, yourself. There's not a lot of other uh, female business owner biographies out there. But if you listen to ones like Howard Schultz from Starbucks or um, Philip Knight, uh, Phil Knight from Nike, they don't go around second guessing their communication style or apologizing for who they are. Um, Steve Jobs didn't go around like explaining his communication style to people. Um, it is a very female founder thing to do. And I hate it, but I, I like, I hate that inequity, but I also think that it's necessary just because of the culture we're in right now. Um, people, think straightforward women are bitches. And that's just, that's one of the reasons it's hard for me to deliver straightforward feedback. And I think it's hard, you know, probably you feel the same way, you know? I agree. Um, yeah, it was like, if I, especially in corporate America, if I was really hard driving, it was like, I was being pushy. So then I'd step back and then I was being too passive and you can never win. So I completely agree. (laughs) Yeah, it was a zoo. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll never forget like uh, Glenn, I'm going to say his full name because I have so much respect for him, but he said a really harsh thing to me in a meeting. Glenn Kino was the VP of di- uh, SVP of digital for Oprah. And in one meeting he said, I said something like under my breath, like, you know, um, maybe we should do it like this. Cause then otherwise blah, 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 blah. You know, I threw it away and he was like, Danielle, what? And I said, um, if we did it like this, then we wouldn't have to do this other thing. And he said, it would have been great if you had said that three weeks ago when we started this project. And I was crushed, right? I was crushed. because, And I was like shot down and I was like vowed never to say anything in a meeting again. But you know what? That wasn't the lesson that he was trying to teach me from that. Like he was trying to teach me like, if you have a thing to say, say it right away. Don't wait three weeks to like say it under your breath. Have a have a spine. And like that was that's why I said his full name. He's, you know, to this day I think back and I think, what would Glenn do? You know. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't like the feedback at the time, but you know, retrospect. Definitely. I um first of all like bravo, it's extremely brave that you're talking about all of this stuff because I think the mental health stigma is real. I don't love that we call them disorders and disabilities because it makes you feel like you're broken when actually, yeah, it could be just that that's just like your unique special way and it could make you more magical and be yeah, I mean, so many, well, so first of all, I'm medicated, so it's treated. Um, but there's a lot of really notable people who um, have disorders, um, who are very successful. I mean, Bill Gates, uh, um, Richard Branson is dyslexic. Um, you know, I would say that, uh, Steve Jobs is like the picture of, uh, autism and Asperger's syndrome. (laughs) Totally. Um, And, uh, I mean, I think that there's just a lot of people who, I mean, it's, this is terrifying to say, but like, sociopaths are some of the best like CEOs yes. because <laughs> they don't, they're not like crushed under the weight of other people's expectations. 
That's so true. I was reading about that. They interview very well as well. So there's like mm. an unreasonably like large portion of sociopaths in corporate America. Which is really- great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's okay. I agree. I agree. Because I am the type of person I'm like a delicate flower a lot of times and I try to be more brave and like speak up. But I always felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. Like, am I supposed to be really nice and just go along and check my ego? Am I supposed to be like, you know, it's a balancing act for sure. Well, as a woman. So until two years ago, I had a um, consulting job as the uh, as a marketing uh, consultant for Mozilla's developer division. So Mozilla, the browser maker who makes Firefox and does the Mozilla developer network, and they do a lot of developer advocacy and stuff. And I was their marketing um, manager for that that part of their business. And um, since I was a consultant. I had the freedom to say and propose a lot of crazy ass shit that I never would have proposed uh, or recommended in any of my corporate jobs. And it was a really liberating experience. And to have, um, and as a business owner coming into a corporation, understanding that if I wanted to justify, like, there's no point in just complaining about how things are like you never can get anything done, blah, blah, blah. I have never in my entire life met a business uh, leader of any sort who walks away from strong stats. So if you walk into a meeting and you say, we can save $370,000 a month if we execute this plan on this timeline. I don't know anybody who goes, nah, like, I don't know anybody who does that. And so whenever I hear people in corporations, and I think back on my time in corporations where I was like feeling so helpless and feeling like I couldn't get anything done and nobody would let me do my passion projects and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why did I just put together a good business case? And, (laughs) And going to Mozilla and being a contractor there, and being like every six months I had to have my contract renewed. And so every six months I had to lay out a strategic plan for here's what I think we should do strategically. Here's how much money it's going to cost. Here's how much money it could potentially make. Here's the impact goals. You know, every six months laying out a business strategy. Like I started realizing that, you know, there's no thing that you can't accomplish. Like if you go to it with the right business strategy, when I was interviewing the, our new VP of e-commerce, she said, you know, are you looking for a yes man or are you looking for somebody to bring ideas? And I said, if I wanted a yes man, I wouldn't hire anybody because I'm my, I'm my ultimate yes man. Like, I think everything I think is a great idea is a great idea. Uh, and I said, I have taken this to the position where I can go. But And I also said, but I need you to understand that as a bootstrapper, I'm going to be incredibly resistant to spending a single dime because I have been conditioned by starvation to have an allergic reaction to new ideas. And I said, so what I need for you to understand is that if you come to me with an idea that may seem crazy, I will be willing to gamble on it, but you have to come with a clear upside. Like 
presented to me with $1 here, we'll make $10 here. And I will say, unlimited money is yours, my friend, you know, um, because that's like, I, I, I clearly believe that, I mean, I don't have an ego about the things that I don't know, because I would be crushed under the weight of my own ego, because there's so much I don't know. So like, if I'm hiring somebody, I want them to make good business cases so I can understand what levers we need to pull to make business changes, you know? I love that. I think that's just exceptional advice. I wish I had received in like the very beginning of my career as well, because I especially, yeah. And as a business owner completely. I mean, do you think there should be some sort of a class like that people get in school or like, you're going to go join a company, you're going to work with other people. Here's how to make your point. Like, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Coming up next on Money Self-Made. I seriously edit at a road stop on my way driving there, I was like, maybe I should look up what this actually is. And I realized it's a pitch-a-thon. And I was like, I don't have a pitch. (laughs) And so I like stayed up the night before refining some pitch that I'd given, you know, months earlier. And I was like, I cannot even believe that I this up so much. Like I'm going to be in front of some of the most important people in the VC world. And I don't know what I'm saying. 